theme for the year is let the redeem of the Lord say so. And so one of the things we really want to start implementing more in our church services is having more specials. Uh, having specials um, during the worship service, uh, whether it be a solo or a duet, a trio, a quartet. Uh, we want to get more people involved um, in the music ministry. And so if you're at all interested, even if you're hesitant, when you can sing. You know, we love to get you involved in the music. Um, that's one role I will not fill in the church. Uh, we want you all to keep coming here. Amen. And so we can put other people um, that do, that are skilled musically. The Bible talks about how David was skilled musically. And when some of you are, <clears throat> we just need to stop burying that talent in the ground. I mean, maybe you strike, maybe you said no, you just sing um, specials and stuff. But if you'd like to sing, we'd like to try out a special every week. Um, and you understand for our church sites, we maybe won't be able to have one every week. But um, if some of you are even willing to sing a couple of times a month, you know, we'd love to get to that work where we the redeem of the Lord sing. So it's well. And um, this month in February, um, starting next week, uh, um, like to also, um, if any of you could maybe kind of think about your testimony, think about your salvation. You know, maybe the things that led to your salvation. You know, maybe it was your previous life, something the Lord saved you out of. Uh, maybe it's just maybe got saved as a child. You know, every testimony of salvation is a wonderful testimony. But just to kind of get to know each other a little bit more, I think it would be good to share with one another what our testimony is of when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. And you just never know about the power of a testimony, that there could be someone visiting here, and they just hearing your testimony um, verbally could bring conviction to their heart for their need for a Savior. And so, you know, maybe think about it. Um, you can pre-write it if you want. I know some people are afraid to talk in front of everybody. Um, if you don't want to do it up front, you're welcome to do it um, from down there, um, from your chair. But um, think it's a blessing to hear testimonies. Um, and on that note, those that anyone just want to give a testimony off the cuff, not necessarily about that, but about anything, something that God's going to do to you. Delivered him up unto thee. 
Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Thou, this, sayest thou this of thyself, or others tell it thee of me. Just a little bit of history about Pilate. You know, as some used to question and wonder if Pilate was given a real historical person. Some of the scoffers would question the authenticity of Jesus because they said they, you know what, there wasn't anything of this man named Pilate. Um, however, they did found that Josephus, a Jewish historian, writes quite a bit about him. Um, Tacitus writes of him, and when he was by Leo, um, wrote about Pilate. And um, one of them really did speak of him in a very good line. Talked about him usually being an irrational man, a man that um, could seem calm and gentle and then be in a rage. And so, and so that's one of the things. But it was recently in 1961, at there was a stone they discovered that mentioned Pilate by name. It was carved in limestone. Um, and it was a partially intact inscription um, mentioning Pontius Pilate. Um, it's a prefect of the Roman province of Judea um, from AD 26 36. And um, it's particularly significant because it's an authentic first century Roman inscription mentioning the name Pontius Pilatus. It says, to divine Augustus Tiberium, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has dedicated this. And then there's other parts that is all missing. They can't see the rest. But they can see this part carved into the stone. And this was installed contemporary to Pilate's lifetime. And um, of course, with what is known of his reported um, career. Um, in effect, the inscription constitutes the earliest surviving and only contemporary record of Pilate. Um, he was otherwise known from the New Testament and was also by Josephus, Philo, and brief references by Roman historians such as Tacitus. And so just kind of interesting, kind of you can go online and look up the inscription yourself. But Pilate was the real person. Jesus! was a real person in history. But we see here the Jewish people were leading Jesus. They arrested him and they're turning him over to Pilate and they're wanting him to be put to death. You notice in the first verse that we read um, in verse tw um, 28 it says, Then led they Jesus from Cephas into the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. They themselves.
house did not want to go into the judgment hall. They did not want to be ritually or ceremonially defiled. The defilement they feared was likely contamination from a dead body, which would render them unclean for seven days. As we see, it says, that, but that they might eat the Passover. And so with the Passover being coming up very shortly, they did not want to be defiled, because then it would be seven days before they would be able to come together again. Now this defilement, as far as being around a dead body or where dead people are, they would take it to the extreme where they would not even want to go inside a Gentile's home. They considered them pigs, dogs. They considered them dirty, defiled people. And this concerns them from a common Jewish belief, and it may be true, um, you definitely see it of the Gentiles in different aspects throughout the Old Testament. But they would dispose of aborted or stillborn babies by throwing them down the drains. Therefore, the Mishnah, which is a Jewish collection of oral traditions about the Pentuah, about the first five books of the Bible, and it's a thick volume. You know, it's bigger than the Bible itself, and it's their oral traditions or their oral interpretations of what the first five books of the Bible, the law, meant. And so the Mishnah declared that all Gentile homes were unclean, and that entering the courtyard outside Pilate's residence, however, would not defile if they were just in the courtyard, but not in the home. And ironically, they did this so they could eat the Passover while completely missing who was the true Passover lamb. Okay, Jesus is about to be crucified. He would be that innocent lamb, that Passover lamb, spiritually speaking, and they're missing the Jewish leaders expected to be able to please God through their legalism and a physical separation from a Gentile house while at the same time requesting for the Son of God to be murdered. D.A. Carson says this, um, the Jews take elaborate precautions to avoid ritual contamination in order to eat the Passover. At the very same time, they are busy manipulating the judicial system to secure the death of him who alone is the true Passover. Nevertheless, Jesus being our Passover would need to be killed. That's what they would do with the Passover lamb. They would kill the lamb and they would eat it, and it would be symbolic of being a covering for their sins. And Jesus would be the Passover lamb on Passover day. And so we see that in verse 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For if in Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And so while men's hearts were inclined to do this evil, God was accomplishing an act of love for those same people 
that they may be able to have a redeemer if they so call upon the Lord for forgiveness and put their faith in him. Pilate ends up going out to meet them since they would not come in. He went out to meet with them. And he asks them, he says, what accusation bring ye against this man? He doesn't understand why they're, they're bringing him forth. And we see Pilate ends up telling him to take him and judge him themselves. We see, in, in, in verse 31, it says, that Pilate, uh, said, said Pilate to them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. So, I, you know, this isn't a Rome, Roman issue. You know what? He's your king, okay? You guys judge him after your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Kind of wondered about that. Why does it say, why did they say it is not lawful for us to put any man to death? Because God gave them instructions on when to execute the death penalty. Under what conditions? That there had to be at least two, preferably three witnesses. And that it needed to be indisputable. Now you know what the Bible talks about? The man sheds man's blood. The man commits murder. That he should receive the death penalty. And that because um, a sentence isn't executed speedily, that judgment isn't made speedily, after all the facts are made clear, that men's heart continue to do evil. And I think that's one of the problems we see in our system, in our country, that these kinds of sins were, they're not punished immediately. You have people that commit terrorist acts against the United States and they're still in prison, still waiting to undergo a trial. And so man's heart continue to do evil when it is not punished swiftly. And so I wondered about this. Why did the Jews say it was not lawful for them to give, to give the death penalty? And so just doing some research, they were powerless to carry out this sentence because the Romans did not permit them to execute anyone. Rome occupied in Israel now, and Rome did not authorize Jewish people to execute the death penalty. There would be times where they go, okay, you can have your own laws, you can have some of your own systems, but you cannot call for the death penalty. Only Rome can. And it was standard Roman policy in the territories they ruled. They did not want nationalists executing those who were loyal to Rome. Then I wondered, what does this mean that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled? Like, how does this have anything to do with what Jesus said as far as whether the Jews were the ones to execute the death penalty themselves or Rome was going to? What did it matter? Doing a little bit more digging, pondering it for a while, if the Jews were to execute him, it would have likely been by throwing him down and by stoning him. But Jesus said when he would die, it would be by being lifted up. 
Roman and Jewish people had different ways they would enact a death penalty, like the Jewish people did before Rome came in. John 3.14, for example, says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 8, 28 said, Then said Jesus unto him, When he have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. There's another incident where Jesus talks about his death will be by being lifted up. And believe that's what it's referring to, where it says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, but she spake, signifying what death he should die. We see that God providentially controlled all the political procedures to assure that when sentence was finally given, that he would be crucified by the Romans and not stoned by the Jews. And they likely preferred that method of execution based on Deuteronomy 21-23, where it talks about, for he that is hanged is the curse of God. And they considered Jesus a curse from God, that he had committed blasphemy, making himself equal with God. And so perhaps they wanted this Roman crucifixion because they wanted him to be seen as he that is hangs on a tree. It says in, in Deuteronomy 21-23, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he, be to be, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is the curse of God. That thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And so even the manner of death Jesus would die would need to fulfill what Jesus said would happen. We see Pilate ends up questioning Jesus in verse 33. John 18. Says then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Matthew 27, a parallel. You know, you can kind of see more details by reading the different parallel accounts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew 27, 13, it says, Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. So at first, Pilate's question goes, You know, look at all of these things they're accusing him. And he answers not a word. Now he does talk a little bit later, but with all of the accusations that are being made, he answers not a word. Fulfilling in Isaiah 53, where it prophesies that he would not speak, that he would not revile back again at the accusations. He questions them. He says, Art thou the king of the Jews? 
Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it to you? It was kind of similar to the phrase where Peter or Jesus asked Peter and the other disciples, Whom sayest that I am? And some said, Some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're that prophet Elijah returned back from the dead. Or Elijah, he never actually died. He went up to heaven in the world. But he goes, Some think you're Elijah. Some think maybe you're Jeremiah the prophet. And he would tell his disciples, But whom sayest thou that I am? It's kind of similar in language where here he tells Pilate, Okay, is it just other people telling you I'm the king of the Jews? Or is that who I am to be? Now he, we see he responds and says, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and thy chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? It's like, I'm not a Jewish person. But your own people, your own nation has delivered you to me. To be put to death. What have you done? What is so tragic, what is so bad that you've done that deserves this? You see, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So Jesus talked about his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. That right now, he's not coming down to rule and reign in Jerusalem. Right now, he's talking about a spiritual kingdom. That his kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Hey, it was not just a king of the Jews. Spiritually are you a king. Are you a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest. That I am the king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth, hear of my voice. Now Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice elsewhere. Here he says, No, those, everyone that is of the truth, hear of my voice. Hi, Pilate. And says, responds, being asked, what is truth? I think this was either with sarcasm or at least questioning, can anyone really know what is absolute truth? And he goes, what is truth? What is truth? You know, we see with Jesus, the truth can stand being interrogated. The truth doesn't fear being questioned. But sometimes in our own lives, there can be sometimes people can get offended when you question them about their faith. That shouldn't be us. We shouldn't be the ones that don't like being questioned. And the Bible says being ready to give an answer to those that ask of the reason of the hope that lieth within you. Now, you know, we don't need to be fearful of giving an answer when we hold the truth. 
Now, I know sometimes people get offended because, you know, you maybe respond with them the Word of God, and they just respond with tradition. And so maybe they're embarrassed, or they're like, they, they can't point to the Word of God. But you know, the truth is not afraid of being questioned. You know, I know there's been some preachers throughout history that had the attitude of, you know, I'm the man of God, don't question me. You know, this is just the way it is. Oh, pastors should encourage questions. Pastors should encourage them. You know, it search for the answer in the Word of God. It's not true just because I say so. It is true because of what the Word of God teaches. And that's what we should claim to is what the Word of God teaches. We say Jesus is truth. Jesus said um, in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is absolute truth. We see Pilate. Then goes on. He went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Find in him no fault at all. You know, people will question today. You know, okay, Jesus is a good person. You know, I was on, was it a news report or an interview? It was something. And, and, and they go, um, they go, oh, Jesus was overall a good person, but he was a sinner just like the rest of us. It's not what the Bible teaches. And every accusation of sin was just false accusation. They had to try and dig stuff up. You know, you kind of see that with the life of Daniel. Um, that, you know, the prisoner saw that he had a perfect heart before God. They could not get him to sin. Not that he was sinless, but that anytime they tried to get him to sin, they couldn't do it. And so they're like, you know what? We gotta try and get him to go against God. You know, go against also the emperor. That if they, he won't to give a, give a law where he can't pray to God. And if he prays to God, he does wrong. If he doesn't pray to God, he does wrong. Try to try and do that, and he ends up being thrown in the lion's den, and then God miraculously saves him. Like Jesus, there was no fall in him. You know, the angel who foretold his birth called him the holy child, the sanctified, the set apart. Judas, his betrayer, lamented that he had sinned by betraying innocent blood. One of the criminals crucified with him declared of him uh, after saying that we deserve what we are, how we're being punished. But this man have done nothing amiss. The Roman centurion in charge at his execution, and we'll see later on, ends up after he's crucified and sees the, the veil of the temple rent and, and the darkness that falls upon the earth and every, all the miraculous events that happen, he then says, certainly this was a righteous man. Truly, this was the Son of God. Paul in 2 Corinthians 15, 
James 5.21 said that he knew no sin, that Jesus knew no sin. The writer of Hebrews affirmed that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.25. Hebrews 7.26 says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Over and over, the New Testament speaks about how Jesus was without sin. Comparing the different gospel accounts, we also see that Pilate ended up finding out about where Jesus was from and was like, that's in Herod's district and turns them over to Herod. You don't see that in the Gospel of John mentioned, but you see it in Luke chapter 23. Luke 23 and verse 4. It says, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fair, saying, He stirred up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. So here we see he goes to Herod, and then Herod questions him. He was wanting to see Jesus to see if he would do some miracle that he had heard about. Same kind of similar trial happens. Then Herod ends up sending him back to Pilate. And Pilate ends up saying, but you have a custom in verse 39. You have a custom that I should release unto you one of the, at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Mark 15.9 says, Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. You know, that this releasing of a prisoner on the Passover was symbolic of grace and mercy on the undeserved. Now, Jesus was definitely worthy to be released, but he would become our substitute. But Pilate knew that Jesus hadn't done anything wrong, that this was just the people who were envious. They were having a bad day. They were acting irrational. They were being all emotional. That they, handed, they didn't hand Jesus over to him out of their loyalty to Rome. He saw through their deceit to the underlying reason, their jealousy over Jesus' popularity with the people. In Luke 23, 2, at this time we see they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And so here, they're making stuff up. They're lying. They're, they're saying, you know, no, this guy is perverting the nation. He is trying to turn people against Rome. 
don't give tribute to Caesar. Don't pay your taxes to Rome. Now, many Jewish people enjoy paying their taxes to Rome. It's like we don't like paying taxes today, okay? But we see that they were upset. They were upset, and they made things up. But it's a total lie. As Jesus told them the exact opposite, Mark 12, 13, it says, and they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. So they're trying to trip Jesus up before this. It says, and when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of man. You know, he says, carest not for man. He's talking about, you don't care what man thinks of you. But you're going to teach the way of God in truth. It's all fake. And how they're, they're, they're trying to flatter him, to try to trip him in his words. He goes, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tip ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is the image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. They marveled at him. Here they were trying to trap Later, they're saying he told them not to give of their, of their tribute to Caesar. Complete lie. I would ask them, will you, then I release them to you, okay? You know what, I, know what, I can release one unto you at the Passover, and in verse 40 it says, they cried, then they cried, they did all again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. It was much more than a robber. He was an insurrectionist, and he was a murderer, as we compare to different gospel accounts. Um, now, the Jewish leaders didn't want a trial here. They just wanted Pilate to be an executioner, not a judge. They knew that their charge against Jesus, that he was guilty of blasphemy, because he claimed to be God incarnate, would not stand up in Roman court. Rome already believed in multiple gods, and so they didn't care. If someone believes they're a god, okay, whatever. They knew that wouldn't hold up in the Roman court. Matthew 27, go ahead and turn there. We're going to look about another perspective or another angle of what's going on here. Get a little bit more detail. Matthew 27 and verse 15. Says now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, and they had been a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things 
this day in a dream because of him. And what a dream. Wish we knew what the dream was. But the Bible doesn't tell us. But his wife, Pilate's wife, was so troubled in a dream that she had. And she recognized this was a just man. This was a righteous man. And so she pleased with her husband, have nothing to do with this. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto you, What shall I do that do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? So again, Pilate is convinced Jesus is completely innocent. That he had done no wrong. But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And Pilate saw that he could, could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. gave the people what they wanted. You give them all what they want, they just want more and more. Just don't ever give in. The mob ever comes after you. Well, here we see another type in this. Here Barabbas is released, a murderer, a thief, an insurrectionist, and Jesus ends up going to be crucified. The innocent dying in place of the guilty. Think about that, about the crucifixion of Christ. That it was he who did no sin. He who did nothing wrong. Not once had a sinful thought. Now, was he tempted externally? Yes, the Bible says in all points, tempted. Yet, committed no sin. And he that committed many sins is made free. You know, we're able to be made free. We who are sinners, the Bible says that God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ died for the ungodly. We who are filled with sin. Jesus also told Pilate that he that delivered me unto you have committed the greater sin. So we'll see later on when Jesus is crucified. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus going to the cross 
It was meant by for evil by men, but it was God's love for us that Jesus would die in our place. That even while we deserved it, He would extend an offer of mercy, an offer of grace. We see here, even prophetically, the people cried out, said, His blood be on us and on our children. Basically saying, you know, let the guilt of His murder be on us and on our children. But yet Jesus did it a different way. Their blood could be applied to them, but it would be what would give them mercy. It would be that which would give them grace. Now, Paul regarding the gospel, regarding Jesus being crucified. It says, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the gospel is the main thing. That there's many things in life that we could get involved in, many things that maybe are good things to them. But they can pull us away from our main focus. And it's preaching Jesus crucified. And also in prison again. That we need to be a people that, as the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let us be out there telling people about Jesus. Telling them about how they can have hope. Perhaps there's those you know, they just feel guilty. They feel overwhelmed by the sin or their past. Give them the hope that is found in Jesus. Let the redeemer of the Lord say so. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let's just go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. As we pray, take a moment. Take some time to really think about the crucifixion. About what Christ has done. Remember, you know, the cross is empty now. You don't need to have a cross with Jesus on. Because Jesus is not perpetually on the cross. The Bible says he was offered once as a sacrifice. And he resurrected. You need to be careful that we worship Jesus and not idols. And while the cross Special to us because of what it symbolizes. There are some Christian religions that they'll pray to the cross. They'll pray to Jesus on the cross. But the Bible talks about not making any graven image of things which are in heaven or things which are on earth. Not to bow down to them, not to worship them. But to go to God directly. Thank you for dying on our behalf. It wasn't just Barabbas that was able to literally, physically be made free, but that you made a way for us all to spiritually be made free. 
die for us to yield. May we give thanks to your name. May we as a redeemed people of you tell others so. Tell them how they can be redeemed by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood would be applied to us and to our children. remission of sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, um, I'm planning on trying to make this service a little bit shorter, and we have the kids and children are wanting to put on a little short church service for the adults, um, and they're wanting to do that upstairs. They've got their room all set up um, and stuff for us to go up, and so if you're able to stick around next week, um, I know they would appreciate that. And so I believe Solomon's going to be getting the message ready, and they're going to be doing some songs. And I don't know all what they're doing. Um, so um, come find out um, next week, right after the church service here. We'll just kind of go upstairs for those that are able to stick around, and um, they'll be conducting the service up there. Amen. Be excited to see and stuff. So just make sure you guys remind me next week, okay, so I don't forget myself. But um, God bless you. I fellowship be friendly. And I pray for my wife and her family, especially your mom. Um, of course, having a hard time with her mother um, passing away. And so God bless you.